Well, today we're still on our series, Listen to Learn and Live for the Father. I want to talk to you about something just separate from that for just a minute. This has always been a missionary church, and I appreciate you being a missionary church. And this year we're going to do slightly different, a little bit. We're just going to highlight missions every month a little bit, and we would encourage you, if you don't normally give to missions, please do. Please start. Not from your regular giving, but over and above your regular giving, and so I need to practice what I preach. So I made my first, I do give to missions all along. I give it through my home church. I give it through the PAOC, but I've joined you. So let's do that. Let's highlight missions. Let's understand that God has called us to a bigger place than just our place. Part of the missions, right? We send good news to the world, and we get to do that to others. So just let me encourage you when you're giving, when you're thinking about it, think about people doing it in other, other places. Now, right immediately following this service, we'll do a quick moment break, and Dr. Frank is going to come, and he's going to share the results. It won't be long, and I'll just give you a little update from the search committee and our district superintendent. I want to talk to you today uh, about a friend of mine, really. He became a friend. Uh, in 1976, I showed up in Smith Falls, Ontario, and I was sitting there on my very first Sunday as pastor, and my custodian came in, he was an older man, he was almost 70, and he came in and he was visibly shaken. And he said, Pastor, and I normally stutter, you've got to make an announcement. And I said, oh, wow, are you okay? Yes, but you've got to make an announcement. So okay, what is the announcement? You've got to warn all the women in the church to guard their purses. And I thought, I've never heard that announcement in church before. How many of you have been in church at least five years? Have you ever heard an announcement in church for women to guard their purses? Well, I didn't know. And so I thought maybe this was unusual for Smith Falls. I didn't know. So I said to him, why? And he said, because Niebuhr was his first name, and I have permission to use that, and his last name, because Niebuhr is in our church today. And I said, who is that? And he said, that's the town thief. Well, you know, not every town has its own thief. But we did. And he was in church that day. He really was. He wasn't a really good thief, to be honest with you, in some ways, but he was a thief. He would have been in the scrap metal business for a while. He actually took a ladder and pliers and went along the railroad tracks and cut the wires between the poles and sold it to scrap metal. He was a butcher for a while. He actually would go to a farmer's field, shoot a cow with a gun, 22. He would take a chainsaw, quarter the meat, and sell the meat was a grocery business for a while. He took ladders, went up on the roof of a grocery store, broke through the ceiling, put the ladder down, was able to go in and open the back door and fill his truck. Sold it wherever he could. He would often, he would often go to bars because he would break into houses and he would say, I have this really good camera that I, that I bought and I don't need it anymore. Would you like to buy it? It's $10. Or he would steal jewelry, and he'd say, I just broke up with my wife, which wasn't true. But he said, I have this ring, I don't want her anymore, and I don't want her to have it. Would you like to have a bargain on a piece of diamond or jewelry? He was actually in the liquor business for a while. 
He actually watched a truck deliver, a bootlegger. You know what a bootlegger is? They're the people that sell liquor outside of liquor time. And he actually watched a bootlegger unload a whole truckload of liquor to sell. And when he went in the house that night, he went back and stole the liquor from the bootlegger so he could sell the liquor. He really was a town thief. He really was. True. <laughs> he wasn't a very good thief, to be honest with you, because he was 39 years old when I met him, and he'd been in jail for 16 of those 39 years. Not a good thief. Got caught a lot. <laughs> he was in our church on Sunday morning. Do you know why I was there? There was a girl in our church, and she uh, got to know his wife and three children when he was in jail. And one day she shows up on a Friday, he showed up at his house, and she'd made a cake for her and her family and an extra cake for them. And she showed up at the door and with a cake in her hand to give to Niebuhr's wife and children, and Niebuhr answered the door, and he was crying. This big, tough guy was crying. She's 18 years old. She doesn't know what to do. She said, oh, I, I didn't know you were home. Called him by his last name, mister. And he said, yeah, I just got home yesterday from jail. She says, no, I, I knew you were in jail. Are you okay? No. Well, what's wrong? I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. And I don't know what to do. She didn't either. And she said, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? And he came to church on Sunday, my first service there. He gave his life to Jesus. I called him my 69-cent miracle. I'll tell you why. Shortly after he got saved, about a month after he got saved, he was out shopping with his wife, and he was helping her shop, filling a cart, and he put a can of spaghetti, that size it was 69 cents, in the cart. I don't know why they both had a chart, but they did. They got to the cash, and to Francis, his wife, said, um, the kids don't like that anymore. And so he said to the woman at the cash, can I leave this here at the cash? So they paid for the groceries, got in their car, drove home about a kilometer and a half, two kilometers away. And when they got home, they're unloading the groceries, and in the groceries was a can of spaghetti worth 69 cents. And so he checked the bill, and it had never been paid for. It wasn't on the bill. Now just remember, this is a guy who specialized in stealing. That was his livelihood. He got back in his car, and he drove back across town, and he went to the same woman at the same cash and said, I got groceries here about an hour ago, and you didn't charge me for this can of spaghetti, and my kids don't want it. Can I give it back to you? The reason I know this story is because he told me, because he felt bad he hadn't shared Jesus with her. And I said to him, what did she say when you gave, gave her back the can of spaghetti? And he said, she looked at me and said, aren't you neighbor? He really was the town thief. About two months later, Sheila and I are having dinner with our kids at our home, and there was a knock on the door about 5.30, and I open the door, and there's a policeman in uniform standing at my door. Huh. And I said, yes. First thought is, I wonder what's wrong. And he said, are you Pastor Morrill from Bethel Church here in Smithville? I said, I am. He said, I'm here on behalf of the police department of Smith Falls, Ontario, to thank you for what you've done for our town. 
because you took the town thief and changed his life. I, tell, I tried to tell him I wasn't the one who did that. <laughs> Actually, Jesus had something to do with that. Well, a long introduction, an amazing story. We're still in the series, Learn and Live for the Father, and we, we, we understand that we're children of God, and we, so he says this, I'll be a father to you, be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And we want to please the Father because we are his children. And so we're learning about loving our neighbor. That's what we talked about last week. We learned about love. And, and you know that, folks, when we really are in love with God and we know that he loves us, we can't help but love one another. That's how it works. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I love you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. First John picks it up, and here's a little long verse of Scripture. I want to go through all of this because it explains. I want to go back to last week a little bit. So let me just read the text of Scripture. Do you like the Bible? I hope you do. I love the Word. Here's what, here's what it says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who, is, who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, before I finish that, I've learned a new, I only know one piece of sign language. John has taught me, Pastor John of the church, this is love. Can you do that? Put your two middle fingers down, your little finger, your index finger up, and your thumb up. Can you do that? That's the sign for love. Why don't you show that to somebody around you? That's the sign for love. Okay. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so, we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so we will have confidence on the day of judgment. I love this line. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives up fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Wow. Love your neighbor. We talked last week about loving the neighbor who are close in the body of Jesus. Those are the people that are around you today, different group maybe. Turn around, look around. These are people that God loves. God expects you to love them. 
But in all honesty, it doesn't just start here. It actually starts in the home. If you really love God, we ought to love our spouses better. Ouch. If we really love God, we ought to love our children differently. It starts in the home. It starts with family. It starts with parents and brothers and sisters. And you know all those people that are difficult to love? God actually loves them, even though they're related to you. God loves them. Amazingly so. And he loves you. I was raised in a home with a grandmother that was never happy unless she wasn't. It's a gift. God loved her. God loved, loved her. Here's what a neighbor is. A good neighbor is someone who cares for those around them. So I gave you a, I gave you a little exercise last week, uh, you know. Uh, what, how did that go? Say something good about somebody else to somebody else. The reason I wanted you to do that is I wanted you to express love and appreciation. The reason I didn't want you to do it to the person directly is because maybe they wouldn't have trusted you if you said it to them. There's something wonderful about loving and appreciating those around us. It actually changes the world. But there's another radical step to this. It's radical, folks. It is radical. You see, Jesus isn't just saying this to us about those who were in the family, the blood family or the spiritual family. He actually sees this as being important for those who were not yet in the family. Because as much as God loves you, and he does, he says in his word, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. John 3.16, folks, is, was for you before you knew Jesus. John 3.16 isn't for you now. It's already done. You're already in the kingdom. You've already made it. John 3.16 is still true. And the great commandment always includes the great commission. The great commission tells us to go into all the world and make disciples, and lo, I will be with you always. And all of a sudden, God moves the target. So if we're really going to love God, the evidence of loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and our strength, the evidence of loving God first, most, and best is we actually love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And the neighbor does start with family. And the neighbor starts with this family. But the neighbor also includes all those who are not yet in the family. It includes the people who are not yet the children of God because God loves them and God died for them. You ready? Regardless of their spiritual condition. But you don't know how bad they are. You don't know the language that I hear. You don't know. No, I don't. But I didn't know you before you knew Jesus either. And God redeemed you, imperfect and sinful as you were. God specializes in doing that. Don't, don't, don't you, I've said this too many times, don't you just love to watch God save people you knew couldn't be saved? He's so good at it. You might have been one of those people. There's an admonition in the Great Commission we don't want to miss. This is an admonition we don't want to miss. Here's what he talks about. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Now, a couple of questions. 
What does a disciple of Jesus look like in 2023? I think that's a good question. Don't know if I know the answer. Maybe the second question is more significant. How do we make them? Huh. That's not that easy either. I think I have some biblical ways to do it. And maybe the third question matters the most. How do we know we have made them? Well, I know the answer to that. Because, you see, the Bible tells us that disciples make disciples. And we will know we have made disciples when they make other people disciples of Jesus. Well, then that bothers me a lot. I hope it bothers you. And I wouldn't offend you for the world, but hear my heart. Hear the Scripture. If you love God, you're going to heaven. You're going to spend eternity with God. But if you're not making disciples, maybe you aren't one. Maybe you're somebody who loves God. Maybe you're somebody who's been touched by His Spirit. You've been somebody who's been forgiven. Thank God, thank God for that. You are going to heaven, and you get to come to church and enjoy fellowship with the saints. But disciples, followers of Jesus, make other disciples. God, I hope that, I pray that be true of me and everybody here today. And then there's something in here that we often miss. We often miss this. Uh, There's an admonition in the Great Commission that really matters. We often get it wrong. There are four kinds of church growth, kind of, and let me just go through them. Oh, the first one was right there. Let me get the right one. Where are we going? I'm going the wrong. How do I get it backwards, Bobby? I need to go back like this, right? Thank you. For all of you listening online, this will be an interesting moment. Okay, revival. We love revival. We, say, we pray, God, send a revival. I love the word. I do. Here's the problem. Sometimes to get revival, we think if we just preach hard enough, or if we pray hard enough, or if we sing loud enough, or if we demand of God, He will send revival. I had one of those, folks. When when Niebuhr gave his life to Jesus, when Niebuhr gave his life to Jesus on that Sunday, the people in our church, 65 of them, average attendance, looked around and said, wow, if the town thief can get saved, anybody can get saved, and they brought all their friends and relatives. We had 100 converts in six months. The church doubled in size in four months with all new believers, changed our church. Wow, it was revival, I didn't have to do anything. I used to joke, they could have had a Jersey Cows, their new pastor, and the church would have still grown. Just one of those God moments. How are we doing on that? Can I be honest with you? I always try to do that. The revival model died in 1984. We're still chasing it. Why don't we have more altar calls in church? Well, because there aren't many people in church that actually don't know Jesus these days. And it's amazing to me how many, remember how many day of Pentecost, how many thousands of people got saved? Do you remember that? Well, you weren't there. How do you remember that? No, no, you know it from the Scripture. See, you know it from the Scripture. 
No altar call. Altar calls didn't start to the 1800s. And all those people got right with Jesus because the Spirit of God was at work. I want that. I do want that. Doesn't really work well these days as much. Well, then there's a revitalization model. This is if we fix things up and make them better. So my very first church, I walked in this little storefront church in Montreal. The floor was dirty. The carpet was dirty. The, the curtains were dirty. There was a hole in the ceiling. And I thought, if you don't care, why would I care? And nobody would come. Nobody would come and stay. They'd come, maybe, but they wouldn't stay. So revitalization, better programs, better computers, all that really matters. It helps. It does. It does. It helps. So I took all the curtains down, took all the carpet up, put new carpet in, put new curtains in, painted, fixed the whole, painted the walls, and we got some growth. But mostly, mostly transfer growth. Doesn't really change the world, folks. Doesn't. Well, the next model is the renewal model. Well, what the renewal model says this. Every time you hear of something really good somewhere else, you should go check it out. Because there's something good happening over there. Please forgive me, but I've never seen a move of God like that where people come back not unhealthy rather than healthy almost. It's frightening. And if we chase every wind that blows, we get to join the tribe of Gad. We gad about all over the place. And the problem is some of those pastors, they're doing a great job, but what happened there doesn't happen here because what happened there doesn't fit here. This is not the same place. This is not the same community. It's not the same body of believers. It is not the same. You see, and all three of those are contrary to Scripture because, you see, the key word in the Great Commission is not come to church. The key word in the Great Commission is go as the church into all the world and make disciples and then you bring them back to church with you. Is this radical? It's biblical. How many of you are with me today? About 12 of you. The rest of you should get this. This matters. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Called the redemptive model. Called the redemptive model. It's interesting when it's interesting when the great commandment was given. The scribe comes to Jesus and he says, "Is there only of all the six hundred and thirteen? Are there only are there two or three that really matter?" And Jesus picks out a Deuteronomy and Leviticus says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbors, yourself. If you read it in Luke's gospel, he doesn't ask a word about loving God. But he says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer him. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which does not tell you who your neighbor is. It tells you what a neighbor is. And a neighbor is somebody who cares for somebody else. It's called the redemptive model. I love what Dan Betzer said. Do I really expect these victims who are spiritually dying by the side of the road to come to us, all slicked up, shoes shined, and beaming from ear to ear? Hardly. We need to go to them, to where they are, and in Jesus' name, bind up their wounds and attend to their needs. Is it messy? Sometimes. Is it costly? Usually. Is it worth it? I don't know about you, he says, but the angels of heaven shout yes for every lost soul who comes home. 
Guys, I have to tell you, I became a believer in this kind of rigid, legalistic church in Perth, Ontario. And I got saved and I fell in love with the word of God when I got saved and so infused my soul. It was amazing and overwhelmed me. And I remember reading that when I came to faith, the angels in heaven rejoiced. We had a testimony service and I was bold and not wise and I said, do you know what happened two months ago? When I came to faith two months ago, the angels in heaven had a party. And they looked at me like I had lost my mind. But I had been found by him. And if you know Jesus, so have you. I want to share three assumptions with you from the word of God. Here's what it says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. This is how you go in 2023. This is how the redemptive model works in 2023. I've always been, already been sharing with you for 25 minutes. So far, that's the introduction. I know you should be worried by now. I'm a little worried myself, to tell you the truth. The first assumption, the first great assumption, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Well, folks, that's really the great commandment all over again. That's the great commandment. If you want to come after me, deny yourself and take up your cross. That's the great commandment. That's loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. That, this is what separates, you see, John 3.16 people from the rest of us. See, John 3.16 means you get to heaven. But when, when you really fall in love with God, you become a follower, not just a believer. And followers are passionate about the kingdom. And followers chase God. And followers give. And followers serve. And followers love. And followers make great neighbors inside the church and outside. And followers cannot live with people who do not yet know Jesus. It eats in their soul. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. I love how Calvin Miller said it in his book, Into the Depths. We were torn and now we are mended. Useless and now used. We were once cast off commodities. And now we are the spendable currency of God. We are the spendable currency of God. Hallelujah. Why does an old guy this age care about this stuff? Because this is life for the church, friends. This is life for our souls. I am not less passionate about the kingdom as I've got older. I am more passionate. I was passionate then. It's frightening. Some, some of you were, how many, how many were born in a Christian family? It doesn't make you Christian, but you were born in a Christian home. I, I envy you because you have all that heritage. But I came into faith as an 18-year-old, and I watched family members of mine die without Jesus. I don't want that to happen to anybody else. I don't want you to see that. We are now the spendable currency of God. And all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. 
Are you ready? And he is committed to us, you and me, the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's the first great assumption. The second great assumption is this. We always have it prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you. Well, I love that. You may have to turn the slides for me here. It's not working. Would you go to the next one, please? Second great assumption. Here's what it is. Peter is assuming that we actually have relationships with these people. You see, here's what I discovered. I discovered that no one's asking me if I don't know them and they don't know me. Nobody's asking. Huh. I had dinner on Friday night with, uh, well, I didn't. My wife and I did. We had dinner on Friday night with a friend of ours who was raised in the church and got hurt, beat up really bad, and left and made terrible decisions and lived a, really an ungodly life in many ways. Never lost God, but lived an ungodly life and hated the church. And Sheila and I met her through a business issue. We were actually buying a house. She was a real estate agent. And so we had lots of interaction over a period of time, and she discovered I was a pastor. So she started asking me questions. The first times the questions were a little edgy. They were a little edgy. And then she started asking more questions. And then she started asking more questions. And then we invited her to house for dinner. And then she invited me to her house for dinner, to their house. And then they invited us to Florida to visit with them. Ten years later, folks, ten years later, she said to me, you know, my husband doesn't know Jesus. I've got to tell him. That's my job. She had moved from death to life. It took ten years it took 10 years of investment before she came to faith. That's five years ago. We still see her. I still mentor her on the phone. And she is, we've run Alpha twice, and she is everybody in the Alpha group. It's somebody she knows that's outside the kingdom. She's now winning up. She's a disciple making disciples. That's, how the, that's the redemptive model, folks. That's how it works. We invest in people. That's how it works. Do you remember I started with the story of Niebuhr? Huh. The young girl who took the cake to the family lived three or four doors away from Niebuhr's family. And he was in jail, so she started to care for them. That wasn't the first cake she had taken. She had taken cookies. She had taken cakes. She got to know them. She got to love the kids and know them by name. And I really love this girl. She's 18 years old. Can I be honest with you? She wasn't the smartest kid in her class. She never made it to university. Can I be honest with you? She wasn't the most popular kid in her class. She never got chosen first for anything. Can I be honest with you? She wasn't very attractive. We would have probably called her a little on the homely side. Can I be honest with you? She didn't have a good family background. Her half-brother was in our church. Same father, two different mothers, no marriages. Huh. And she invested in a woman with no husband. So when he came home, 
And he said, I don't want to live this way anymore. She had no idea what to do. So she pointed him to God by pointing him to our church. And it changed his life. And it changed the life of his wife and his kids. And it changed our church. Our church doubled because of one girl who was 18. Don't tell me you can't do it. Don't tell me you can't invest in somebody else. Don't tell me you can't love somebody else into the kingdom. Don't tell me you can't do it. I know you can. I believe in you. If God can use her. I like her because she has the same name as my mom. Her name is Audrey. i got to finish and I'm not quite done yet. Would you give me five more minutes? Is that okay? Okay. And then we have to do this. The third assumption is this that we do it with gentleness and respect. Do you remember how many times God drew you in and you said no, and he kept coming back again and again and again? And you know what? He might not have been as gentle with you as with some others, but he knows exactly what you need and how you need it, and God comes to you the way you need it, and he did it over and over and over again. Oh, God, help me to be like that with people who are outside your kingdom. Help me to have such a relationship with them that they can come and ask. Help me to have that kind of relationship. And help me to respect them. Help me to respect them. Help me to honor for who they are. You see, let, let me say this to you. We see sin in every side and the people who live in it without the influence of God and sometimes we're angry and sometimes we're frightened and sometimes we're offended and Jesus sees forgiveness and new members in the family of God. We see broken and arrogant and hurting people and Jesus sees potential for the kingdom. We see the poor and the marginalized and the different and Jesus sees equality and oneness and a new future. We see the resistant and the skeptic and the anti and Jesus sees the person of the Holy Spirit who can convict of sin and convince uh, the power of God that the Son of God is real and you can know him. Jesus, please help us see the lost as you see them. A number of years ago, I, uh, go to Soul Vision slide, would you? A number of years ago, a pastor called me, and I was general superintendent of our fellowship at the time, and he was wanting to talk about a business thing in the fellowship, and before he told me that story, he, uh, this is hard for me, he told me about a friend that he just led to Jesus after years of investment. He was so excited, he didn't want to talk business. And if you've ever led somebody to Jesus, you just know how wonderful it is. And as he starts to tell me the story, I started to cry because I realized I've been so busy serving the fellowship and serving pastors that at that moment I did not have one unsaved soul in my life that I grieved over, that I lost sleep over, that I prayed for every day, and I determined that would never, ever, ever happen again. I'm honored to say to you, it's not true now and it's never been true since. And sometimes it's a painful journey. I have a friend right now that I love. I pray for him every single day that we pray together as a family. And I pray for him as often as I think of him at other times. He gets prayed for four or five times a week. I've been praying for him for five years. Do you know how many times he's opened the door for me to share Jesus with him? Not once yet. 
But when he gets drunk, he calls me and tells me he loves me and I'm his best friend. And I want to tell him once when he's sober that I'm not. That Jesus is his best friend. And if I'm really his friend, I want him to know that Jesus that changed my life. Oh, God. If we're really going to please the Father, friends, hear my heart. We have to have people in our lives that don't yet know Jesus. There's a picture of a, of a window. Would you, the first one, would you throw that up? Have you, ever, have you ever driven, the band can come. Have you ever driven by a building and the windows are so glassed you can't see in? Have you ever seen that? Can you find that picture on that screen there? It's the next one I really care about, but if you could find that, it's in there. There it is, look at that. You can't see in through those windows. You know the funny thing is, if you look at the next slide, the people on the inside can see out, but you can't see in. Go to the next slide, would you? What Jesus is saying is this. Would you live for God in such a way that people can see into your life? Would you live for God in such a way that people can see into your life? And when they do, they'll see Jesus. Let's sing. Let's stand.